0: Welcome to Protecting Your Assets, the show about protecting people, property, and most importantly, protecting your ass. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano, and I'd like you to join me for a fast-paced and often fiery discussion about security issues with my co-host, Brian the Angry Man Claimer. Whether we're piercing the veil of security, talking your duty of care, or raving about the latest technology, we'll share our thoughts on the issues, the trends that are impacting security today and into the future. So grab a coffee and join us for our latest podcast every second Monday, and don't forget to like and follow us on our sponsor's website, brianclayman.com. And now let's talk about protecting your assets. Hi there, and welcome to Protecting Your Assets. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano, and with me is Brian the Angry Man Claimant. Together, we're going to be covering the topics of the day as they relate to security, examining some of the trends in the world, and how they impact you, your business, and your employees. Sponsored by Brian Clayman & Associates. Brian, I'm going to turn it over to you to give us a a quick intro as to who you are and and why you're sponsoring the program.
1: Yeah, Luke. Brian Clayman & Associates is a security advisory practice that provides security management consulting services. We offer a full suite of security solutions in the area of managed services, risk management, security system design, and consulting. Our value proposition is to help clients ensure that their security risk management programs are capable of producing predictable and defensible outcomes so we thought that sponsoring a podcast and partnering with you would be a great venue to sort of get our message out to talk about the issues of the day that you've made reference of and uh, help people understand what it means for their business for their security programs
0: so now that the exciting part of the program is behind us let's get down to business for those of you who don't know us, uh, Brian and I have have, uh, have worked together, never in the same company, but certainly in the industry for uh, well, almost thirteen, fourteen years now. I, I uh, I've enlightened them on on the industry many times, and so I, I, we're, I, I,
1: you know what you're you're about to hear the angry because my young Jedi <laughs> warrior colleague. I sort of see my job to educate you, but anyways, continue.
0: Thank you for correcting me. All right,
1: so the plan of
0: this uh, podcast series is really to bring our thoughts to the audience and share with you some of our learnings uh, and experiences, some good, some bad, some uh, trial by fire, and, and really sort of cover the topics that are on everyone's radar, or should be on everyone's radar as we move forward. So with that, I wanted to sort of start off our podcast series with a discussion of what's on the news today. We're we are we're actually taping on June 22nd as a reference for, for future listeners. I just wanted to bounce it off you, Brian. Over the last week or two, we've certainly had some interesting things developing on the radar in the news and what are your thoughts on what's really concerning right now maybe the top one or two things uh, before we get into the whole COVID discussion
1: well you, you know I think COVID uh, has been in the news almost consistently since March or February actually uh, end of February beginning of March So I think the two tough things, especially with the security nexus, is COVID, but I think it's been bumped back a little bit by the uh, systemic racism protest movement, which has taken over not just the U.S., but seemingly the whole world. And there's, you you know, from a societal point of view, there's all sorts of interesting nuances there, but we're security guys and we... uh, uh, you know, I think those uh, two things, COVID and the protest movement, have implications in terms of security operations and affecting business. So, I think that's really what the big news stories are, and I think that's not going to change for the foreseeable future.
0: Yeah, I, I'd agree. The uh, the whole racist, systemic racist arguments that are being made in the press are are certainly grabbing all the headlines uh, over the the last few days, and we're gonna we're gonna cover that more in depth in, in our next episode. Specifically, how it relates to security departments and programs and what, what our listeners should be thinking about as, as we move forward and getting back to business in that new environment, which is much more sensitive or should be more sensitive as to how we deal with people and the implications of those interactions that our guards will be having with the public.
1: Yeah, I know. I couldn't agree more. And I think it's going to be an interesting that our podcast number two is going to be interesting because it is such a sensitive and hot topic. That there is basically such a polarized point of view, you're either you're either for it or you're a racist type thing. So it's going to be interesting how we sort of navigate that, and also talk about how it's going to profoundly affect, if it isn't already, business operations and security operations.
0: So let's leave that for our next uh, episode and uh, put on the back burner for now. I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about on that podcast. But today we're going to talk about COVID. It's all been about COVID now for the last three, four months at least, if not long before that. And as I speak right now, you know, again, sort of referencing the time frame, we see businesses opening up again in various stages across Canada and across the world. Some of them have been successful, some of them not so successful. We see spikes in certain areas that are reconsidering uh, locking down again, and we still haven't really reached the uh the second wave yet we're sort of in the mi- in the middle of no man's land trying to figure out which which way to go so with that i'm going to turn it back over to you brian and give me your sense of how you think things are going and some of the things our listeners should be weary of or, or, or aware of as as they go into reopening well you know i
1: think they're going well and one merely has to look at what's happening south of the border and some other countries such as south america brazil and look at our numbers. And we're now, as of today, I just heard on the news before the podcast that uh, Toronto's now going into phase two, which is all very, very positive. But I want to give four examples that I've experienced, my family's experienced, which gives me some cause for concern. And again, I'm looking at it from the point of view of an organization's duty of care, duty of care to their clients and a duty of care to their employees. And the examples are things that we've experienced in the last little while. The first one is that my air conditioning broke, which is never fun, but it's especially not fun in a heat wave. And it's taken me about four or five visits over the last three weeks to get it fixed. And I think it's fixed finally. But I was very leery to call a repair person to have a stranger three weeks ago come into my house because of COVID, because of the associated uh, risks of having people come into the house. So I looked online, I looked at the different providers, and I noticed some major providers, which gave me comfort because I thought these are big companies and they would know what to do and they would have good COVID recovery plans or response plans for continuing business. And what amazed me was when I called the company and we went through the triage process they do before they book the appointment, they asked me all the right questions about have I traveled, anyone in the household sick, symptoms, all the right stuff. They explained on their website and they also explained that when they come, they're going to follow social distancing practices, their technicians are all trained, wear masks, the whole nine yards. So I've had three encounters with large companies recently, the air conditioning one, I had some problems with some ants in my house, pest control company, and also dealing with uh, a telecom company, uh, Rogers. I'll I'll use their name. I won't use the others because I think Rogers did it right. Anyways, the first two companies, when they did come, what amazed me was that the people that came to my house and had to go into my house had no clue whatsoever what the protocols were that the company themselves expoused on their website. They had no clue of how to respond in a safe manner, not only for me, the client, and my family, but themselves. They came into my house. They weren't wearing masks. One guy was really in my face, in a very friendly sort of a way, wanted to shake my hand, introduce himself, went into my house, touched everything. That really was a concern.
0: Yeah, On but the other hand, oh, sorry, go Luke. do you think that's more of an issue of them not knowing or the company actually does have a policy and procedure in place, but haven't communicated that well enough to the front line, or they just simply don't care, and they they're, or or maybe they're just hung up on pre-existing cultural acceptances that we used to do. Normally, you, you normally would shake somebody's hand. Normally, you would be in front of somebody speaking to them.
1: Yeah, no, listen, I think the companies had good plans. And I looked at it as this security risk management guy. I looked at them on their websites. I spoke with the call center people. I don't think that's the issue, and I honestly believe the employees were also trained. But the reality is that they're doing this every day for eight, ten, twelve hours a day, and people let their guards down. They say to themselves that you know everything looks okay, and they let their guard down. That's just human nature. I think the failure is in, and we, from a duty of care obligation point of view, for an employer, for a service provider, is not only do you have to have a, a good plan, and not only do you have to train people, but you have to have oversight, you have to have validation. And clearly to me, it wasn't that the employees were bad or the company was bad, but it indicated to me a lack of validation. I've seen that in commercial real estate as well. You know, we have some clients who are helping them put together strategies to reopen buildings. And some of them think that once we develop the plan and we have a meeting with the cleaners and the building staff, it's over – They don't realize this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's not just setting the plan off, but it's how are we going to validate the plan and tweak the plan on an ongoing, continuous basis? It's having the staying power. I think that's the weakness, and that's what concerns me as we go into the recovery phase i, I, I want to say one last thing that people have to understand that uh although we're going from phase one to two and then presumably three in the hopefully not too distant future the threat is still here and i liken it to a sniper you have a sniper on the street and he's shooting people and people get hurt what do people do they get off the street okay they're no longer a target What happens after a couple of days? No one else is shot. What happens after a couple of days? People start going back on the street. But if they go on the street, they have to remember there's still a threat out there. Otherwise, if they go back to the way they were prior to the sniper, they're going to get shot again. COVID is the same thing. We're going into phase two recovery. Businesses are opening up. Restaurants are opening up. But the disease, the virus is still there. It's not as prevalent as it was because we did a great job breaking the curve but if we can't hold some staying power if we can't be consistent in our in all the things we did physical distancing masks cleaning hands staying at home if you have symptoms if we let our guard down we're going to be back into it again and i think we see that united states right now south of the border
0: well yeah i i agree with those those comments, but. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna offer two other factors that impact that problem of complacency. First of all, the human nature is that we tend to lose focus pretty quickly, especially when something new and shiny comes on the ra- on the radar. You start looking that way, and we forget about all the other things. and And what I would say as a as an example of that is, you know, terrorism. Everyone, it's gone off the radar, and yet in the last 24 hours, we've seen two terrorist attacks. One in the, in the, in the UK where a person with a knife stabbed a number of people in in a park, killing one and injuring twelve or thirteen others. And then we saw another. May not be a terrorist attack per se, but certainly some some form of of attack that's similar to to a terrorist attack in the states where where people are starting to shoot uh, shoot off guns in the middle of a, of a public gathering, which we've always talked about uh, make attractive targets. And we've stopped talking about that. They're still out there. It's still happening. That's the problem with human nature. Is if it's not in front of us, we tend to forget about it like it doesn't exist. The second challenge, I think, with COVID in particular, has been the messaging from the government. And I read an interesting story this morning on, on one of my uh, news feeds. Where they basically went through all the recovery off efforts in most of the major countries across the world and compared what they did differently, to sort of figure out who was successful and who wasn't. And the funny thing was that the underlying uh, tone or, or message seemed to be that those who trusted their governments in what they were telling them reacted quicker. And locked down quicker. And a perfect example of that would be uh, Italy, where the population is very suspicious of government. And there's a lot of historical baggage that comes with that. Um, you know, all the mob stories. And so the, the, the population there is not very uh, trustworthy of, of government. And so they delayed responding to the government, even though the direction was accurate and valid they did not follow those directions until they started seeing people die. Uh, my concern is when you move it over to Canada, in particular, and the States more so, when people start questioning what the government is telling them, and largely because government doesn't have their own acting gear, because our provincial leader says something different from our municipal leader who says something different from the next province and, and from the and from the federal level. When you've got all those guys giving you a different direction, people start throwing up their hands and saying, you know what, I don't know who to believe, I'll just make my, my own best guess. And that sort of says everyone do what they want and they lose faith and confidence in the direction of of government. And when that government wants to give a valid direction, they may not be able to because no one's listening.
1: Yeah, Luke, I agree with what you say, but I'm not sure it applies in Canada to the degree you make it sound like it does. I think our messaging has been rather consistent, especially if you use the U.S. as a backdrop where you've had from zero to 50, you had New York State, for example, and certain states taking this very seriously. Other states like Arizona, where they uh, flatten the curve, the curve's still going up, and they're going back to normal. So you've got a complete uh, opposite of uh, responses. I think we've been pretty consistent. I think our biggest problem that concerns me is that, More than the virus is human nature and the lack of staying power. And you give the example of terrorism. We see that all the time. We forget we have short memories. And it doesn't make us bad. It doesn't make us evil. It just means that we're human. But that's a challenge for us as leaders, as security leaders and as business leaders. How do we operate and continue to operate safely and legally? in the world following COVID, especially now that we still don't have a vaccine or a treatment. And that's going to be the challenge. And I'm not convinced that we have the staying power. I'm already seeing, when I read the uh, newspapers this morning, it was such a beautiful weekend in Ontario. The weather was great. Woodbine Beach, hundreds and thousands of people with no social distancing, okay? Uh, People were hot. They just wanted to get out and have some fun. I sort of get it. But this type of thing, if we don't have... You know, Toronto's not even in a phase two. They just went into phase two today. If we don't have the ability to discipline ourselves and do this in a measured way, it's going to be a real challenge. And bringing it back to business and bringing it back to security leaders, we have to make sure the businesses that we represent are doing the right thing, are taking baby steps in a measured sort of way, because there's that duty of care obligation. You and I have talked many times about the wave, plethora of litigation that's going to follow and you're starting to see it in the states mm-hmm. people suing people because they got sick or because yeah. they went to work and they were involved in practices that were unsafe and it's just going to be a, a tsunami of litigation
0: yeah and signing waivers to uh to not get uh, to not hold them liable if, if they get yeah. the uh, sickness at a rally we'll, we'll agree to disagree on the communication piece because i don't think we've done that great of a job i think when you talk about the beach opening, that's a perfect example of what I'm talking about where, you know, the city of Toronto says we're not open and the city, and uh, York region is open. For somebody who lives along the border, what's the difference me traveling 10 feet across the street and going to an open store on the other side and then coming back to Toronto? It just to me, that that should have been coordinated. Everyone should be on the same page and not having different municipalities have, give out different messaging. And same here with me where I live. Our, our mayor says can only gather up up to 10 people. And then across across the border on the other side in Toronto, you're, you're up to 50 people. What's the difference? People don't know. They assume that we're all under the same sort of exposure threats and things like this. So to me, it's it's not helpful. And as you point out, at some point, people are going to start saying, you know what, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. I'm going to choose to listen to this guy because he's saying things that I prefer and I want to do. And that's what I'm going to do, as opposed to sort of everyone doing the same thing and, and mitigating the risks.
1: Well, you know, as much as it pains me, you are right. And messaging is always the most critical component and hardest thing to get right in emergency management. And make no mistake, Canada and Ontario is still operating in a state of emergency and there's still crisis plans in place. And I think they're going to have to tweak the messaging. And I don't know what the answer is. When you talked about York Region being in a phase two while Toronto phase one, and for those of our listeners that don't know the geography, literally Steeles Avenue at the north end of the city or the south end of York Region is the dividing line. And literally one side of the street, a restaurant could have been open and the other side, a restaurant wasn't allowed to be open. And the optics are terrible. But I don't know what else you can do. I don't know how you filter that in. These are really complicated issues. I just hope that leaders realize that they have to put a real premium on messaging and get the messaging right and validate it, and make sure it makes sense and the optics look good.
0: Yeah, I agree. So to keep it moving in the, into the next point, I, I'm going to bring it right back to, to the employers again, and I'm going to use sports as an example. But to be honest, I think it applies to everything because it's just an example of what I think is going to happen. We're opening up these restaurants. We're opening up businesses And granted, they're trying to phase people in and doing their best to control the situation. But at the end of the day, all it takes is one person to be sick. And you're basically game over. You've got to re-sterilize everything, re-educate people. So what do I mean by that? Look at hockey or um, baseball. Hockey more particular because they plan to open in the next couple of weeks. And lo and behold, six or seven of them have got uh, COVID-19, they've they've tested positive. So what does that mean? Now you've got to lock down everybody that's associated with that sport. There's no way around it. So why are we even pretending that we can open when the slightest infection is going to cause us to lock it down again? It's just ridiculous. I think the push to to make money, and I understand that. We need to make money. People are losing their homes. People are got to make bill payments. But are we putting profits ahead of health, maybe? Or are we not doing enough to make sure that if we open, that the
1: employees are protected? Well, I think it's a bit more complicated. I think it's a bit of everything. There is pressure to get the economy reopened. And, you know, you could probably make the argument, not sure that I would necessarily buy, but make the argument that COVID presents real threats. People are going to die and get sick. But you can make the argument that there's equal carnage if the economy collapses totally. So you can make the point that one of the reasons things like hockey are coming back, sports are coming back, and even business, is not just for the profit, although there is a profit element to it, which is important, but it's a pressure valve. I think leaders are realizing that we can't keep people isolated forever, and we have to take some risks, some calculated risks. And I think that's what sports coming back is about. People need that. We need that distraction. That's why Woodbine Beach was so busy. That's why people are starting to flock to bars. It's not that they are not good citizens, although some of them are a little bit selfish, I would assume. But people just need that release. And I think what that is is a controlled release of pressure. Because if you wouldn't make an attempt to get sports back, even in a modified way, I think there's going to be other societal ills and pressures that occur. So it really is a very delicate balancing act that people are involved in. Even employers, you know, this work from home. I, so, I remember so many employers and clients, if you talk to them two years ago about working from home, they'd say, there's no way. We can't do that. <laughs> people are not going to be uh, uh, working. They're going to be watching TV. You know, it won't be productive. We realize now that's not true. We realize now that we have to adapt, and I think this is what a lot of the opening of the uh, the economy is. As I walk through the downtown core of the small little town I live in, and I notice some of the restaurants now in York Region have these sidewalk cafes, and these are restaurants that have fifteen, twenty tables, and they got three tables out there. Okay, yeah. that's yeah. not to make money; they're just trying to survive. Yeah. So, so this is a real tough one. And again, as a security practitioner providing guidance to my corporate clients. We've got to figure out, okay, I understand the pressure you're under to resume operations, but we also have to measure that against the risks and then make some risk-based decisions of what's legal to do, safe to do, and in your interest to do.
0: Yeah, and I think the problem with, with your statement is what's legal got to say about it because I think they complicate The waters uh, significantly, because everyone's afraid of being sued, and what that does. and, And I'm certainly not condoning opening, reopening business with frivolous disregard for people's safety. But the risk of being sued at every step, and that's what seems to be happening. Basically, you've got a gun to your head, right, to your business. If you don't open, you're gonna you're gonna go broke, and you won't open at all. If you do open, you're basically terrified of being sued every step of the way by your employers, who you don't have proper PPE for by someone who attends your restaurant or place of business that happens to get exposed. And, and I think this is a real underlying problem with society today is this risk of, of legal action. And I'm talking about frivolous action, not serious, valid lawsuits, which we call a criminal negligence. We've talked about that plenty of times where there's a wanton intent to disregard people's safety. Those companies, those people should absolutely be held accountable and sued. But if I forget or I choose to not mandate mask wearing and somebody comes in and gets it do they really have the should they have the opportunity to sue my business for potentially millions of dollars for something that's out there and they should be planning for as well
1: you know i look at it very simplistically and that security is governed in my mind and throughout my career i've always taken this position there's really just one law that i look at okay and like in fire safety you got the fire code and there's all sorts of laws and civil law But I look at my client's duty of care obligation and duty of care under tort law is the responsibility responsibility of an individual that has oversight over an organization of building a process to make sure the people using that asset are safe from foreseeable risk. So to go back to the mask situation, this is an evolving territory. But if public health comes out and says that you need to wear, you should be wearing a mask, should all the time. <laughs> no, you're right. No, no, I no. I <laughs> but you should, okay, be wearing a mask. Then if I get sick, I'm gonna make a case, okay, or I w- I would tell uh, my client that someone's gonna make a case that public health says should. You chose that it's uh, optional, so now you explain as a pizza parlor owner. Or, as the owner of the insurance company, when public health experts are saying should, and you're saying no based on what rationale. And that's litmus test. So, I think what I would be telling clients is that you have to operate under the uh, concept of duty of care. And if there's uh, a threat or risk uh, which can knowingly and foreseeably injure someone that you're responsible for, your client, your employee, then you better demonstrate that you can mitigate against it. That's the standard that I think as security practitioners we should be uh, aiming towards. To go back, Luke, to your original point, I think it's incumbent on government leaders and business leaders to really put out clear messaging. Because we see in the White House, the press secretary was saying the other day she was not going to wear a mask at the rally because she said CDC said it's recommended, but it's not mandatory. That creates wiggle room, and the optics of a leader, such as a press secretary, translates to the public. So I think that's the Achilles, and I think that's what has to be worked on.
0: Well, and you got the example of the hydrochloride that there are, you know, the president was saying it was safe to use it. And now they're pulling it off the shelves. So the, again, it goes back to that messaging needs to be there. And it's literally costing people their lives to move things along again. We want to quickly touch on sort of what's on the radar for COVID-19. We know that the second phase will come eventually in the fall. It always does. And if it doesn't, you know, I'm glad to be wrong on that point, but The reality is history shows second waves come and they tend to be uh, more more significant. And we're starting to see that in China. Beijing in particular is, as we speak again, currently under lockdown. They've banned flights. They've banned travel. They're they're trying to do a good job of containing it better than the first time around. But we're starting to see that happening. As we head into the second phase of, of COVID, what would you suggest to our listeners they should be uh, preparing for now that we've been through phase one. And what do you what would you say are some of the good things that we've learned or, or good takeaways helping us get through the second phase?
1: You know, I'm relatively optimistic. We, especially in Canada and specifically in Toronto, we've lived through SARS. We lived through H1N1. We learned the lessons of our mistakes or what we didn't know in the past. So I think we're pretty well positioned. I think we have good leadership. I really think that we have to all realize we have a part to do, a part to play in this thing, but it's really quite simple. What we have to do is we just, I was watching one of the uh, talking medical experts in infectious disease in the Toronto area. He's always on TV. I forget his name, but he said, we don't have a vaccine yet. We don't have a treatment yet, but it's really very simple. There's three simple steps that we need to do to lessen the chances of getting sick. Physical distancing, wear a mask if you can't maintain physical distancing, and clean your hands. Uh, you know, pretty simple. <laughs> pretty simple. So think of it. You, you know, Think of it. You could sit there, get sick, be on a respirator, okay, or lose your life, and your family says, geez, why didn't he just wash his hands? Why didn't he wear his mask? Just do these three things. So I agree, Luke. I think there will be a next phase. I don't think it necessarily has to be devastating. I think we're well positioned for this next wave that's going to come, and I think if we follow the three things—distancing, mask, and washing our hands, cleaning our hands—I think we're going to do well. Yeah, it'd be nice
0: to, like you say, it's very simple uh, hygiene, uh, pra- good practices. That that's all it really takes to protect yourselves in, in the vast majority of cases. Uh, and as you're speaking, it just came to me back in uh, back in the day when we were both in the private sector working downtown. We had this wonderful organization, um, that sort of umbrellaed under Pathcom, which, which brought all these stakeholders together. And, and I'm just thinking, wouldn't it be nice if all these private businesses, store owners, especially in malls, could all come together instead of trying to make their own decisions independent of one another, come together with a coherent strategy, especially in the malls. Um, like I don't understand why one store would be different from the other and basically come together and sort of agree that. This is what we are going to mandate for, for people coming into our stores and our employees so that at least they've got their, their act in order and, and consistent in what they're telling customers.
1: Well, I, I agree, but I do want to give some kudos because I think certain industry associations, many industry associations like the Retail Council of Canada, like mm-hmm. BOMA Canada, BOMA Toronto, yep. are really doing a stellar job putting out guidance The issue is though, it's the members uh, of those associations can choose to follow or not follow. But I think what we have to do is we have to look at leaders, industry leaders, association leaders. And again, I can't say anything. I can't say enough good things about what I see coming out of BOMA and then leverage that stuff. And I think that's going to be important. I just hope that we have the staying Tower. My concern is the weather is nice, the sun is out, the beer is nice and cold, yeah. and people are forgetting. <laughs> and it's good to forget. It's good to live life. But we got to keep it in the back of our mind. That sniper is still on the rooftop. The threat has not gone away. I think that has to be the message. I think people are getting blinded by the fact, phase two, I can get a haircut, pee. it's over. It's not. It's just like in battle. It's the lull between battles. We're just reloading our guns with fresh ammunition now. I think people have to be careful. And I think leaders have to manage those expectations properly. And that includes, you know, not just political and business, parents, adults. we got to tell our kids, go out and have fun. But you know what? Be careful. Well, you set the example, right? If
0: if you're going to stores and refusing to put on masks and refusing to clean your hands, then... Your kids see that. Your employees see that. If you're if you're a CEO, if you're a director of the department or whatever, you got to remember that uh, you got to walk the talk type thing and and lead by example. Most importantly, even if even if you don't agree with some of the things that are being said, or you may not believe in in some of them, the fact that you still follow them uh, reinforces the need to, to to believe that we're giving the right direct that that you're doing the right thing, and and gives your team the confidence that it's valid and that they should be following as well.
1: Hey, let's take a second to talk about podcast number two. I'm really excited about that one.
0: I'm not. I don't want to talk to you anymore. (laughs) We'll start (laughs) again. But but
1: you shouldn't want to because you're learning so much. (laughs) And I I didn't get angry once today. Well, maybe
0: once. (laughs) Not yet. Let's see if I can change that. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Podcast number two. We're going to be talking about systemic racism and uh, obviously the Black Lives Movement that's uh, created the the, uh, revolution uh, on a global scale. And causing countries across the world to sort of review and reassess and look inward, inward as to their institutions and, and how they operate and, and the existence of, of racism in there. But we're not going to be talking about that specifically. What are we talking about, Brian?
1: Well, you know, we're going to talk about what does that mean for private security? What does it mean for security operations and corporations and commercial real estate? When I was in the uh, uh, responsible for security for a large uh, commercial real estate company, we had 300 plus properties across the country. The thing that kept me up at night is waking up in the morning and finding out that security at one of the buildings somewhere across the country did something stupid. They either arrested the wrong guy or they beat someone up or they overstepped their authority. That's always been on the radar screen. But now with the sensitivity um, of, of uh, systemic racism, the police are being destroyed. They're having trouble trying to deal with it. And they've got highly trained people with incredible oversight okay, and, and governance. Security doesn't have that level of training or governance. What's going to happen when something goes wrong and it involves someone that is a person of color, let's say? How is the business going to deal with that? Have they thought about it? What is the plan? Are they going to say we're going to defund security and not have security anymore? That's not an option. That's not going to work under duty of care. You need security. So I think that's what we want to talk about. Talk about the issue of the day, systemic racism, and what does it mean for security operations?
0: Yes, I think it'll be a very interesting and uh, probably a passionate discussion between the two of us because we have some differing opinions on, on the role of security and, and how it should be operating in buildings. So I look forward to, to having that chat with you in a couple of weeks and uh, sharing that with our listeners. Uh, but before we uh, sign off, any last words?
1: Yeah, I just thought with what you just said about our differing opinions uh, on the topic. My wife, years ago, <laughs> and daughter bought me for my birthday a T-shirt. It was, I think, uh, Grumpy from the uh, Walt Disney character. And it says, and I love it, I'm right, you're wrong next point. Okay, <laughs> you're wrong, and I'll prove you're wrong next week or next well, time we talk. We will see. All right, till then, bye-bye. Bye, everyone
0: that concludes this podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and will join us in a couple of weeks for our latest episode. Please remember to like and follow us on our sponsor's webpage, brianclayman.com, where you can leave us your comments and suggest topics you'd like to hear about in future episodes. Until next time, thanks for listening and don't forget to protect your assets.